This year is your year, even if you also said that in 2022. And however you want to make a splash, Mother Nature can help you every step of the way with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Wool Runner Mizzles are shoes made from premium, supernatural, weather-repellent materials. So you can jump into this year with both feet, rain or shine. The high-top uppers are made from temperature-regulating, moisture-wicking merino wool treated with durable puddle guard technology to keep you dry and comfy. And you can take confident strides with supernatural rubber treads that grip for all-conditioned traction and sugarcane-based sweet foam midsoles that put a little bounce in each step. Allbirds is constantly innovating to increase the performance and longevity of their earth-friendly materials. So even on your toughest outings, you'll wear out before your shoes do. This year, make a splash without worrying about getting your feet wet with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Discover your perfect pair at allbirds.com today. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Really, books are about ideas. And the question that should be asked is, is there a more compelling vehicle for consuming an idea? Or is there a faster medium that we can consume more ideas? That's another valid question. average CEO reads 60 books per year, and many attribute their success to this habit of constant learning. This is the difference between those who actualize and those who fail. This automization of their learning, this 1% better every day. On the MinterBox podcast, we're making it easy for you to build and maintain that same habit, the same type of constant lifelong learning as those CEOs, simply by listening to this podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and tune in for new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and every Friday. And if you want to dig deeper into what our incredible guests teach, make sure to go to mentorbox.com and become a member today. Everyone, welcome to the MentorBox Podcast. You are listening because you are a person of action. But action, of course, must be supported by deep knowledge. Education is a deliberate, lifelong pursuit, and you know that the fastest, most effective way to learn is from the masters themselves. By harnessing the power of the world's top innovators and thought leaders, you too can effect positive change for your community, business, and the world at large. That's why today, we're speaking with Brian Heathman. Brian is the CEO of Made for Success Publishing, a house whose authors include Zig Ziglar, Tom Hopkins, and Heathman himself. He wrote the book Number One Bestseller. Yes, that's the actual title, subtitled Book Marketing Reinvented. As a master marketer and advertiser, Brian is deeply knowledgeable about the history of media and communication. He and I discuss how the delivery of messages and ideas has changed since the beginning of media, and we dare to fathom what the future of the book might look like. I threw him some interesting curveballs at the end as well, so stick around through this one. Hello, 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 and welcome to the MentorBox podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lay, content coordinator of MentorBox, and I'm joined today by Brian Heathman, author, speaker, and publisher. He has written the book Number One Bestseller. Brian, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Tyler. It's a pleasure. 
Can you give us a quick overview of what number one bestseller is about? It's got a peculiar name, but yeah, I, I think it's yeah, a- <laughs> it's a uh, well, you know, being a career marketer, I wanted to come up with a title for this book that was indicative of what it's about, right? But also be somewhat memorable. So the book is called Number One Bestseller: mm-hmm. Book Marketing Reinvented, and it's basically written for the author who is working on their the launch phase of their book to come up with a sequential organized way to run a book marketing campaign that's going to get the result possibly of a number one bestseller. And we talked a lot about books today and what their future may be and how to appropriately, of course, market them in the current climate of, of media and all of that. Well, yeah. You know, when you, when you look at, you know, as an author, you know, the book business is pretty competitive. There's, uh, there's a little over 54 million books listed in Amazon's catalog today. So you could be literally the next Hemingway. You could be as good as Hemingway. You could launch your book, you could stick it up in Amazon and nobody would even know it's there. So it wasn't marketed. Yeah. So today the whole marketing piece of the equation is essential for even the finest written book ever known to all mankind. So the um, question that I get asked a lot is, hey, do you think this is a good idea for my book? Or do you think this is a a good idea, you know, these type of marketing tactics. You know, should I start a podcast? Should I do social media? Should I start a YouTube channel? After receiving so many of those questions, knowing that the answer to their question is far more complex than a yes or no, yes, you should start a podcast show. Uh, I decided to write a book on it and organize all these thoughts and write, you know, pretty descriptive uh, how-to tactics on things like Goodreads and Amazon Author Central and all the other, you know, tactical things that authors do when they're out there promoting their books. Let's talk about marketing then in a much more historical sense. I want to take it way back here because you mentioned podcasting and social media and YouTube and all that good stuff. You can make the argument that marketing has always been around as since there have been products and since there has been any sort of you know trade. Mm-hmm. But looking deep into history, communication has evolved so wildly over time. You know, starting with oral communication, very simple, mm-hmm. to you know group oral communication, anything from sermons, uh, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. storytelling, uh, passing it on that way. I guess you could consider marketing. But then you mm-hmm. get into uh, Gutenberg inventing the movable type. Right. 1439, you mentioned that today. Mm-hmm. Books have been a thing since then. And then we move into radio, TV, and podcasting and social media and the like and those that we've already discussed. And the thing that pops out to me is that communication itself is so cheap these days. It's mm-hmm. very easy to deliver a message to people across the globe even. Right. What does that do for marketing these days? Yeah. Well, you know, the, um, the production quality of marketing campaigns in the past would run into the millions of dollars because the primary way that a marketer had to communicate with their audiences was network television or uh, possibly network radio. Well, you fast forward to today and the type of marketing choices that we have to work with, it's, uh, you know, you know a, a podcast show, a YouTube channel, 
posts on various social media channels. I mean, those things have very little barriers to entry. They're free in most cases. They are free in most cases. And so it completely has changed the whole landscape of what it looks like to run a campaign. But I guess at the core of it, despite the fact that there's been all these changes, it is up to each one of us who are looking to promote a message to come up with the, uh, what I call the ethos of your brand. So what is it that your brand represents? What is, what type of feeling do you want that brand to evoke? And then that ethos has to carry through whatever marketing channel you choose. I so see. so this would, would also impact what channels you're choosing and actually, mm-hmm. you know, those channels, which is why you said that it's more complex than just saying yes to doing YouTube podcast and social media, because right. in some cases that message might not be appropriate for those media. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, uh, if you've got a really slow plotting topic and it's not super exciting to watch, you would never choose YouTube as a channel to market something like that. Mm-hmm. So, so then what do you do? Because in a lot of cases, those are those are the most popular media these days. I mean, yeah. Facebook advertising is massive, and I would think that just about any book you know would or any author would want to find a way to market their book on the most profitable and accessible channels. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, if you're an author and you've got the opportunity to do Facebook advertising and posting, that is one great channel. But think about this for a minute. Where could you go? to get exposure for your book in 400 locations to about 80 million people. And it doesn't cost you a dime. It's a great question, right? So when you think about getting your book on uh, retail shelves with big national chains, Mm -hmm. and then the cover of your book and your title is getting exposure for everybody that's walking down the aisle, that's an ad impression too. Um, but the beauty of it is it's an ad impression that you don't necessarily have to pay for like you would if you're buying Facebook ads or other types of paid impressions. So that's a, uh, it's just a unique thing about an author's message that is different from just about any other type of advertising that you're going to do. So when I sit down and I talk to entrepreneurs and business owners and we go through their uh, business plan and their marketing models, one of the reasons I reach for doing a book to promote their business is that there's all kinds of ways to get free exposure for a book that's not afforded to other people. So let me ask you this, Tyler, if you had to guess what the number one most respected profession in the world is. And there's no right or wrong answer, but if you had to guess, what do, what do you think that would be? But I still have to guess. Yeah. Most respected profession? Yeah. Firefighter? A firefighter. Well, it's a good guess, <laughs> but um, it's actually a type of physician. Okay. So the number one most respected profession is that of a brain surgeon or a neurosurgeon. But guess what the number two profession is? According a firefighter. No. A firefighter? That's another really <laughs> I'll, good I'll guess. I'll give you a genuine number two yes. guess here. So knowing that number one is a brain surgeon, I, I'm trying to think back to like my, my childhood and how I grew up thinking about what I wanted to be and how I, my, you know, I kind of reformulated it yeah. based on what people around me thought. Um, hmm. I want to say something like a lawyer. 
like a lawyer. Well, the Whoa. correct answer. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah, a dangerous exactly. one, I guess. Wow, but. Yeah. No, <clears throat> the correct answer is it's an author. Okay. So you think about it. So if you want to join the leagues of the second most respected profession, and if you're an entrepreneur or if you're somebody that's looking to promote your personal brand, it's a it's a tremendous way to rise above the heap. Then all of a sudden, these new opportunities start to arise. So let's say that you got the call from Mentor Box to come and do an interview. Let's say that you got a call from the local ABC affiliate to have you on the air to talk about your book. These are the type of things that start to pop up as an author that in the absence of it, I don't even know if you could mm-hmm. have these type of opportunities. How has the message itself or the nature of messages themselves changed? Hmm. We have both lived through a time when news anchors suddenly started having a little Twitter bird and an at and their Twitter name pop up on their TV broadcast when that Mm -hmm. wasn't a thing when I was younger. We've seen the way that people are identified, you know, as not just physical beings, but also online entities and identities. Mm -hmm. We've seen that change and we've seen the way that language changes, you know, with 140, 280 characters on Twitter now. How has the the nature of messages being delivered in books changed? Have you seen something like that develop over time? Well, it's interesting. You know, when you talk about the nature of messaging of any kind of marketing message, the formats are much tighter and they're much shorter. Mm-hmm. So attention of, spans have yeah, shrunk. Yeah, <laughs> and attention spans have shrunk way down. So one of the favorite phrases that I uh, quote often is something that Mark Twain said, I believe. He said, I wrote you a long letter because I didn't have time to write you a short letter. (laughs) I like that a lot. Okay. So as a career marketer, uh, having some decades of experience doing this type of thing, being able to take the essence of a message and get it down to a very short form is a much more difficult job in order to make that message stick. Mm -hmm. So you asked about books. So, um, is the form factor of a book, like the page count getting smaller Yep, that's happening. That's actually something I was curious about that I didn't quite know. So. Yep. Is the, are, are the titles getting tighter and more succinct? Uh, the answer to that is yep. You know, when you take a look at titles like blank or outlier or tipping point, um, you know, there, there, there are these very short titles that are kind of uh, in vogue. And, you know, with books or with any type of message, uh, like, like if you're uh, working on a branding campaign for MentorBox, at least within the book world, 82% of people reading book are a result of word of mouth. 82%. 82%. So if you have a really long title for a book, or if you have a really long title or a confusing title <laughs> for a company, and somebody goes and goes, so have you ever had that moment where you, you've been reading a great book? And you sit down with a friend, you're having coffee and you're going, oh yeah, man, I just read this great book. It was awesome. And it was called, um, let me see, what was the name of that book? Oh, I, I know you'll love this book. All right. So it's if, hard to get the word out of the mouth to pass yeah. the word of mouth along. And so then people invariably get embarrassed and they go, oh, you know what? I'll tell you when I think about it. Yeah. And guess what? They don't. They don't think about it. <laughs> So that's why when a book gets titled, in fact, I think my all-time favorite book title 
is one of the titles that I saw on the back wall here at Mentor Box is The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. That title is brilliant. It's not as short as Blank and Outlier and those type of books, but it creates a, a visual of a four-hour work week. It also creates some controversy. So how many people listening to this podcast legitimately work a four-hour work week, <laughs> right? Nobody, nobody Zero. works a four-hour work week. Or if you do, let us know if you do. send a message to Tyler because I want to, I want to know you, yeah. <laughs> right? So, um, so it's kind of outrageous in its premise, but it's totally aspirational. Yeah. It creates that desire. Like, yeah. oh, could I do that? Yeah. <laughs> that, that could be really cool. So that is, that that's the beauty of some of these, uh, some of these titles, but it does force us to be smarter. We've got to think through the ethos of the brand um, a, a lot more than ever was done in the past. Um, so it's making us be smarter about our marketing. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, again, where where books are going to go. And you actually mentioned that you, for a while, were thinking that, you know, the ebook craze and just the rise of digital would in some ways eliminate books. And that, of course, hasn't quite happened. But you, ha- mm-hmm. you actually had some st- uh, statistics on that. Could you recap those for me? Yeah. So at least here in the United States, I'll give you the, the stats and then we'll talk about worldwide next. But here in the U.S., um, you know, there's about $27 billion worth of books purchased each year. And 65% of that today is still done in the physical book format. When I tell people that, they kind of look at me sideways and say, are you kidding? You know, with the e-readers like the, you know, Kindle and the iPad and with audiobooks and all that, 65% of the money in this business is still going through physical books. And the answer is, yeah. So you ask people why, and they say that they like the tactile feel of the book. They like the smell. They like the the sound a book makes. I'm one of those people, yeah. Yeah. And then there's the whole thing about having it on your bookshelf for future reference. Um, when I talk to people about their reading patterns with electronic readers, they talk about the um, eye fatigue that they feel mm-hmm. because there's a slight uh, flicker in some screens. And so it makes your brain work a little bit harder. So those are just a couple of the reasons why that uh, physical book derivative that was, yes, invented in 1439, over (laughs) 500 years ago, is still the dominant vehicle today. Now, you get worldwide and you get into markets like France or um, Australia or Russia. I mean, the the physical book derivative is by far the dominant derivative. Ebook sales, like you would see on a Kindle or an iPad, are less than five percent of the mix mm-hmm. in very advanced countries. Hey, hate to interrupt this conversation with Brian Heathman, but I wanted to let you know where you can learn more about his marketing and writing secrets. He did a workshop on the legacy of the book and how to write one in the present day. However, he recorded these, per usual, exclusively for Mentorbox Online. To get access to these courses and much more, visit Mentorbox.com. Okay. Back to the show. There's a rise of different sorts of information dissemination across social media lately. I've seen Twitter essays. I've seen Instagram. I mean, Instagram stories are a a thing, of course, within the platform. But there are captions 
on certain platforms like Facebook and Instagram that actually serve as like legitimate, it seems, research with like citations and those sorts of things. It's really wild how this stuff is expanding to actually encapsulate deep thought and Mm -hmm. deep investigation and research. And then it's being shared because it's already on that social media. Mm -hmm. And then there are, there's the use of Snapchat to to create, you know, television these days and that sort of thing. That, that's a different medium. <laughs> yeah, that's a medium, whole different thing. Yeah. But it, it really seems like these social media is desperately trying to take over what books, you know, once represented in a lot of ways. And I'm wondering if you envision anything along those lines actually happening. That's a, that's a great question. So when you read a book, you're making a choice. You're making a choice about how you spend your discretionary time. When you watch a YouTube video, you're making a discretionary choice when about how you're spending that discretionary time. The amount of time that people, at least in North America, are spending reading books has been on the decline because it's very compelling and it's very easy and it's almost mindless to sit down and uh, scroll through social media or to watch video. So that's really where, to me, the battle of the mind is. Passive more than active. Yeah, yeah. It's that, um, you know, when you're, when you're choosing how to spend that uh, passive time, that's a, that's a big question. Now, I think a lot of people are on screens for work and when they're choosing to spend their discretionary time, they kind of don't want to be on a screen. I hear that often as well. So that um, that kind of scores points for the book. But really, books are about ideas. And the question that should be asked is, is there a more compelling vehicle for consuming an idea? Or is there a faster medium that we can consume more ideas? That's another valid question. That's why I really uh, do like the kind of the executive summaries or the cheat sheets that uh, MentorBox creates in order to get the gist of a book in a in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. And we make those you know supplementary, but also they can substitute the actual reading if you don't have that yeah. time or if you need a quick reference, that sort of thing. And that, that's why we do that ultimately. Yeah. Um, you also talked about VR and AR, augmented reality and virtual reality earlier mm-hmm. today. I want to I want to hear what you said again about that and the <laughs> yeah. potential to, you know, maybe translate books into those realms. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. I've been following the whole AR thing uh, through the lens of a friend of mine that works for Pokemon. He's one of their <laughs> senior execs. And so he's been Love telling that. me about the whole uh, phenomena and it's something. It is crazy the way uh, Niantic took that technology, the the app developer, and uh, turned that into a mainstream hit. And, you know, we've got some new stuff that's coming out this year. Not we, but they have some new stuff coming out this year that's going to be pretty interesting. So I've been applying some thought um, kind of in our, more in our labs at Made for Success Publishing about how we can use AR to enhance the book reading experience, and potentially speed it up dramatically. So I know that the books that I've got on my bedstand today, it takes me a good solid one to two weeks to get through them just based on the amount of time that I'm currently allocating towards reading books. But imagine if we could come up with a method that would enable you to understand the principles of a book inside of about the same amount of time that it takes you to watch a movie. 
about an hour and a half. Um, that could be a very compelling value proposition. So imagine this. So, you know, Made for Success Publishing, we specialize in business books, personal development, self-help, nonfiction type stuff. So a popular business book out there is um, good to great. We didn't publish it, but there's a principle in there about talking about having the right people on the bus. Mm-hmm. So when I say that phrase, Tyler, d- does that ring a bell do, do you kind of know what that principle means? The right people on the bus? Yeah. I would assume that has something to do with the team that you've developed around you. Perhaps? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's we can be... Bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what are you talking about, a bus? <laughs> um, so uh, we can throw out a concept like that, that uh, many people have read or talked to or listened to videos about, about having the right team members and how essential that is for the growth of a company. Mm-hmm. And have that almost instantly delivered. So if we're able to deliver concepts like having the right people on the bus or the hedgehog principle, which are a couple of things in the book, Good to Great, and deliver that in a much shorter time, then that becomes a a very valuable tool. Then you also eliminate the whole... I liked the book better than the movie phenomenon (laughs) because they'll just be the same thing and all the content will be identical. Yeah. My mom won't be annoying anymore when we'll go and watch a a movie. (laughs) (laughs) In the research in these labs that you speak of, are you looking at how people learn and consume information from books right now? I assume that is, you know, sort of the basis because that's what we have. But are you looking at what creates the most effective way to read and consume that material? We do spend a fair bit of time looking at how intellectual property gets delivered. So if you have a concept, we take a look at the number of words that are ideally used to deliver that idea, the number of pages, and how satisfied people and how much they retain when they're going through this information. So a whole lot of uh, time gets spent in formatting uh, the words on the page for the book and to try to figure out how it's going to ideally get delivered. Now, how soon it takes, uh, you know, any company out there to do some alternate form of content uh, other than written words on the page, um, time will tell. So mm-hmm. those, Inject them directly into the brain. Yes, That's exactly. <laughs> yeah, did you ever see the movie The Matrix, you know, yeah. where they put on the set of goggles and they, you know, instantly learn how to fly a helicopter and that kind of thing? Yeah. So, um, Plugged in. Yeah, Trinity and that whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyway, just like, uh, like uh, you know, things that we can do to deliver information more efficiently and in a more engaging way are things that uh, all of us have got on our minds. What would you tell folks who are trying to retain information better through reading books? Yeah. Listening right now, what would you say to them? Yeah, well, big time. Uh, We talked about this a little bit earlier. So um, anytime you can engage multiple senses, um, you're going to be able to retain information for a long period of time. So if you're visually reading a book, you're engaging your visual sense. And then if you are writing notes at the same time um, and engaging a tactile sense, you can increase your retention for the material by up to 70%. So if there are ways that you can take notes that go with a book, or if there are worksheets that you can work after you've read the book, or even if there's like a little quiz uh, that you can take, those type of things are going to help you remember this material and help you be a much smarter person in a much shorter period of time. 
what does that all say then for this future again, moving back to the future? I mean, obviously when we think about VR and AR, that's that's very visual, even auditory. But what about in the more immediate future for people who might be looking to publish or write a book? What can they do to take advantage of those things in the immediate future? Yeah, well, there there is a trend right now for authors and publishers to create executive summaries of books. So if you are a content creator and you are writing a book, um, while you're in the process of writing, you want to be thinking about how you can deliver the gist of your message in a very short form and maybe even do parallel path content development where you're doing your writing and you're thinking about your short form content at the same time. Now that short form content can come in the form of your podcast episodes. It can come in the form of articles. It can come in the form of vlogging uh, for your YouTube channel. But as long as you're thinking about it that from the beginning and kind of incorporating that into your design, you're going to be ahead of the game big time. Mm-hmm. I want to give you a case study. Can we try out a case study real quick? <laughs> sure. So let's say that I have written a book. Um, I am a 24-year-old who has created an online YouTube enterprise. Sure. Um, And I want to teach others how to be successful on YouTube. I can Mm -hmm. imagine, you know, some probably pretty obvious ways to market this. Um, But let's say I'm not like a a mega famous YouTuber. Okay. The ones who've recently gotten in trouble or that you could, you know, recognize by name. But I've, I've created one big enough that I was able to establish my own sort of entrepreneurial business out of it couple hundred thousand followers wow, or subscribers that's let's awesome. say yeah <laughs> let's let's say that's the case yeah sure um we i've written a book on this what how would you suggest that i market this if i don't want to use a publicity pr team if i want to do it myself yeah so i mean it's a good question so first question you know why wouldn't you want to use a pr team well it's because they're expensive right you're going to spend thousands of dollars a month getting a good pr team to get meaningful type of PR activities. But if you're a YouTuber, for instance, um, you're going to want to look to the YouTube medium to deliver your training, especially if it's something like you said, I want to teach people how to achieve the same success that I achieved in YouTube, right? So that's going to be a great place to refer people back to in a book, perhaps, you know, depending on the message that you're trying to get out there, um, would really kind of hinge what uh, you reach for. But if you are reaching for a book to deliver information about how to be a better YouTuber, it's a brilliant move. Why? Because a lot of people, when they're trying to learn a new skill, they will reach for a book almost first. That's the, kind of their first instinct. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a, you know, even a if video it's like based a, yeah, skill like ex- YouTube. Yeah, exactly. And in a book, you can deliver how-to instructions differently than you can do it either visually or auditorially. So if you've got a 17-step process for recording and editing and distributing a YouTube video, uh, a book is a far more efficient way to describe each of those 17 steps than it would be you telling them how to do it. Yeah, yeah. And that that's why I wanted to ask you this sort of question because it, it, it's a bit of cognitive dissonance. It's like, oh, I want to you know, teach others how to be YouTubers, I would make a YouTube series on that. But mm-hmm. that that's hard in the 
you know, visual spatial sense and that you have to watch a series of videos and you can't kind of use it as an immediate reference if you're also recording yourself. Right. So the sort of temporal and spatial difference makes it difficult there. But I would also think that like maybe, you know, an ebook in this case would be very effective because in your YouTube videos, you can just, you know, in the comments below, you just stick the link and then you can yeah. go right there, that sort of thing too. Um, what, what about other media in this same case? Would, I mean, if you're in YouTube, you're probably involved with other, you know, social media too, Yeah. but are there any other sort of maybe unorthodox or unconventional avenues that you would suggest promoting or marketing this sort of a book? Well, you know, you think about a book, right? There is almost a divide that, uh, there's, there's a divide of cliffs. So people who prefer the physical book derivative, mm-hmm will never read an ebook. Okay. And there are people who are avid ebook readers who will never read a physical book again because it's inefficient, it wastes resources, you have to use trees and whatnot. And then I've talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of people who do 100% of their reading, quote unquote, via audiobook. So today, as a content creator, let's say you're a YouTuber and you want to have a book that helps describe what you do, you pretty much have to build it in all three derivatives because there are a huge segment of people who don't cross derivatives. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I want to leave you with one question to mix things up here. If you had to live a day in anybody else's shoes, knowing that you, Brian Heathman, are an author, a publisher, and a speaker, and you've dealt with many, many authors and great names and other, you know, Zig Ziglar, mm-hmm. Scott Hogel, who will mm-hmm. be working with us tomorrow. Yeah. Big famous people, great people. Who would you like to live as and walk a day in somebody else's shoes? Well, that is an interesting question indeed. (laughs) And fortunately, I prepared for this, right? Um, (laughs) No. Um, I would say that um, the kind of the, the, you know, for me, it would probably be somebody outside of the world of speaking. It would probably be outside of the world of writing. And it would go after another area of passion of mine, oddly enough, which is music. So um, I own a 17-piece swing band that I do as a hobby. Um, 17-piece swing band. Yeah. And we do, you know, Sinatra classics and that kind of thing. Hmm. So I think if it were uh, an aspirational thing for me, I would be sitting in on second trombone, I'm a trombonist, Mm -hmm. um, in the orchestra that backs Michael Buble. That would actually be a real kick for me because the uh, level of professionalism of those musicians is extremely high Mm -hmm. and I love the music and I know it really well. So that would be, that would be my, you know, day in the seat of a super non-famous person, right? (laughs) (laughs) But that's what I would like to do if I had the opportunity. How do you think this artistic musical inclination impacts your, you know, what you do currently? So the thing about music is that, um, especially, and this is important for anybody that uh, is thinking about having children or has young children, you definitely want to encourage musical abilities within kids because it helps their brain establish neural correction, neural connections better than just about any other activity. And the thing about it is, is that once you establish those neural connections, they stick. You know, have you ever thought as an adult 
that, gee, I wish my parents wouldn't have let me tap out of my piano lessons because I would really love to be a better piano player, singer, trombone player, you know, whatever. Um, I, I played drums all through high school. I was a jazz band drummer and I just... Even then, I was like, I'm not going to be able to pursue this because I just didn't, I'm not quite good enough. I'm good enough to mm-hmm. be in this band. But like, oh man, I wish that I. Yeah. You wish you would have kept it going through, uh, you know, and you had it as a hobby today, right? Yeah. So you'd yeah. be able to do some amazing things. Absolutely. And living in a major metropolitan city like San Francisco, where we're sitting right now, there's a huge culture of music. Oh yeah. And for folks like myself in a city like Seattle, there's demand even for uh, a uh, quote non-professional band, right? So we're a band of all people who have day jobs at uh, Amazon and Microsoft and <laughs> Boeing and Starbucks, right? Which are the big employers up there. So we all do something different for a living, but we still are able to pursue our passion and play to crowds of thousands of people. So it's a, you know, it's a real rush getting up on stage and playing to a crowd of 4,000 people. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, it's a thing. Oh yeah. That, yeah. That's so fascinating. I'm going to be fully transparent here. We decided to throw in a nice little fun question at the end of each of our podcasts. And this was the first time that we had done that. And I, that was an incredible <laughs> answer. And I'm so happy that, yes. that we finished off that Yes, way. the test pancake. Brian Heathman, the test <laughs> pancake for the trick question. That was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> Let's go with uh, one last call to action. So Brian Heathman, how can people learn more about you? Uh, where can they pick up your book? And what's your final takeaway message? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you want to little, learn a little bit more about book marketing or marketing in general, you could definitely come to my website, which is brianheathman.com. Um, the book that is on the market is called Number One Bestseller, Book Marketing Reinvented. I think it's relevant to read for uh, entrepreneurs as well, especially if you're thinking for an incredibly clever way to promote your business in a way where you can get uh, free exposure for your for your message and for your brand and for your personal brand. So I think in a in a closing relationship, even if you've never thought about writing a book, um, but you are interested in starting a business or, you know, someday breaking the shackle of the day job and getting off and, you know, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur, thinking about writing a book and using that as a way to increase your profile in the marketplace is a brilliant place to start. Great. Thank you so much, Brian. It was wonderful doing a shoot with you today and recording this podcast. I appreciate you coming in. You bet, Tyler. This has been awesome. Everybody else, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors, as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at mentorbox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts, as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please... Help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.